Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, Mark Sisson. Hey everyone, Mark Sisson here. Uh, Primal Blueprint podcast coming to you from our podcast studios in beautiful Malibu, where it's always awesome, even when it's raining. In fact, especially when it's raining, now that we're breaking this drought. Um, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm uh, a little overwhelmed right now. I've got uh, so much going on in my life. It's fantastic. I've, I've worked my whole life to get to the point where I'm at right now, and I've got the I've got the blog, I've got the books coming out and the books that have been out, I've got the restaurant, I've got the food line, which is killing it. And every once in a while I stop and and even though I'm very grateful for having created all these opportunities, I'm overwhelmed. And I wake up sometimes at about three or four o'clock in the morning and I like I can't stop thinking about all the stuff I have to do and is it gonna get done and how how's it gonna happen? And it's and it's really about my mindset. It's it's about it's about um, channeling that energy for me into a place where it's it's positive and not kind of dragging me down. And I thought, well, who better to have on my show today than someone who's just written a book on mindset? And so I invited JJ on, and uh, we're going to talk today about that and a bunch of other things. Um. J.J. Virgin, celebrity nutrition and fitness expert. She teaches clients how to lose weight and master their mindset so they can lead bigger, better lives. She's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, The Virgin Diet, The Virgin Diet Cookbook, J.J. Virgin's Sugar Impact Diet, and J.J. Virgin's Sugar Impact Diet Cookbook. Her recent memoir, Miracle Mindset, A Mother, Her Son, and Life's Hardest Lessons, explores the powerful lessons in strength and positivity that she learned after her son Grant was the victim of a brutal hit-and-run accident. J.J. hosts the popular J.J. Virgin Lifestyle Show podcast and regularly writes for Huffington Post, Rodale Wellness, and other major blogs and magazines. She's also a frequent guest on TV and radio and speaks at major events. In addition to her work with nutrition and fitness, J.J. is also a business coach and founded the premier health entrepreneur event and community, the Mindshare Summit. She's actually not that busy. I've known her for 30 years now. Hey, JJ, how you doing? <laughs> I know, 30 years. I know. Were you eight or nine when I met you, I think? Is it? No, I, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, and you're still as fit as ever. And you, you know. Yeah, um, well, yeah. we kind of have to be. I guess. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly, and, and we've, you know, we've, I think we probably bump into each other once or twice a year in the last 10 years. And it, it does feel like, you know, you, you don't age. It's like, wow, how do you, how do you stay that way? And yet I know because you have this inside information. I have the same inside information. It's pretty cool stuff. It's, it's basically what you've, you know, based your whole career on, right? Yep. So we have to walk the talk. So I'm, I'm always super appreciative when someone actually 
is what they teach, right? For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the litmus test that I use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got a new book coming out called Miracle Mindset, and it's a bit of a departure from your other bestsellers, which are sort of all focused on diet and nutrition. Tell me what inspired Miracle Mindset. Yeah, like I never set out to write this. Um, what happened was when I was getting ready to launch The Virgin Diet, it was a couple weeks out from pubbing. And you know, like you were just talking about how crazy busy you are. And like the crazy busiest time is always a couple weeks before a book is coming out, like just all these things. And I had a public television show coming out and my son got mad at me and stormed out of the house said, I'm not as strong as you think I am, mom, storms out, and literally like a couple blocks from our house, he gets run down by a car. And we um, rush to the hospital where he was airlifted and find out that he has got a torn aorta. It was an onion skin at this point. It was going to rupture sometime in the next 24 hours. 90% of the people die on the street when that happens. And he had multiple brain bleeds. He was in a deep coma. And 13 fractures. I mean, when we saw him, he literally had bones sticking out. He was covered in road rash, glass and everything. It was unbelievable. My my 15-year-old, my then 15-year-old Bryce called him a heap of a human. I mean, you just can't ever get that out of your mind. And the the challenge we had was that the hospital couldn't do the surgery he needed without using a blood thinner. And if they used a blood thinner, his brain would bleed out. So we had to airlift him in order to get the surgery. But the doctors there told us not to do it because they said he could never survive an airlift. And then they said, and even if he did, he wasn't going to survive the surgery. And even if he were to survive both of those things, you know, he'd probably be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. And my 15 year old son looked at this doctor and said, so like a 0.25% chance he'll make it. And that doctor said, yep, that's about right, son. And Bryce said, well, we'll take those odds. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's a good kid. So yeah, yeah, we overruled those doctors and had him airlifted. And, um, and I, he made it through that surgery and the doctor came out and he goes, okay, it's all done. Um, you know, aorta's fixed. He goes, now I, I don't know if I'll ever wake up. I'm just the plumber. And so he was in a deep coma and I literally launched my book next to him in the hospital because you know, I'm the financial support for my family. I had everything invested in this book. And now I have a son and I'm thinking whatever I need to do to help this, my son be 110% I'm doing, which means I better make this book go. So I literally was in the hospital next to my son, working with him, doing all sorts of stuff, which we'll talk about behind the doctor's backs and uh, launching the book at the same time. And once I got through all that period, you know, people kept saying, how did you do that? How did you do it? And at first I thought, well, you know, I came into this super healthy because, you know, you can't be in the ICU unless you're healthy. They don't let you in. You're gloved and masked and everything else. But as I really started to look at it, I realized, you know, what allowed me to get through that horrible time where you were just scared out of your mind. You know, I mean, there's nothing I can't imagine anything worse for a parent than thinking you're going to outlive your kids. And I mean, so it was just the scariest time, life and death decisions ongoing, and then having to launch this book at the same time. And I just realized, you know, it it was the mindset. It was the mindset of my son at 15 years old, looking at a doctor and saying, you know, we'll take those odds and us overruling him. And the mindset of us standing in that hospital saying, you know, he's going to be 110%. The doctors all looked at me like I was crazy, but you get what you expect. And the more we did that, the more, um, 
you know, they started changing the way they were behaving around him and really coming from possibility instead of like just trying to help him survive. And so that was what the book, I, I just felt compelled to write the book because I realized that we actually can grow this, like your mindset's really another muscle. You know, and once I kind of wrap my brain around that and realize that if we're not developing it like a muscle, it's atrophying, right? And that you'll never outgrow that muscle. So that is what this book is. I, I think I get that. You're sort of thrust into this situation where you have to, I, I won't say go on autopilot, but you've got to forge ahead. You've got to uh, make decisions with with no uh, no one other than your gut and your son. Uh, and and the advice of doctors, which you know we we know isn't always the best advice. Um, wh- where do you find you know where does that strength come from? Where does that where does is it a clarity? I mean, what is what is the mindset? Is it can you describe what that what that looks and feels like? Yes, and here's here's where it ultimately comes from. It's because. And think about all of the people that you know in your life, Mark, who you think are super cool and inspiring, right? I started to think about the people who are that who just inspire me in my life. And every single one of them had one thing in common. They have been through crap. Like they have been through some of the toughest challenges and they're better because of it. So I started to look at like, what had gone on in my life before this and, you know, divorces and near bankruptcy, all sorts of stuff. And truthfully, I'd been in training for this all my life. And so you look at like what allows someone to step up and take on these challenges. They've got to be resilient. The studies show people who've gone through tough times and persevered who are resilient are happier. They're more successful. You've got to be an action taker. You know, you can't sit back and go, well, I'll do it when it's perfect. You know, and I see so many people do, you know, they're, they're waiting or they're procrastinating. You've got to come from an abundance mind where you don't look at this and think, okay, this, he can only get so far. I went, you know, what? he's going to be 110%. I'll use that as my operating principle, living in the present, being courageous, being able to ask for help. I mean, Grant's alive today because I sent out an SOS to my entire community and I had the most amazing people come in and help. I mean, I had Dr. Daniel Lehman coming to the hospital to help me and then being able to forgive. Grant was the victim of a hit and run. And um, what's interesting is he has never once been angry at that woman. He's not been a victim about it. And so it's really being able to actively forgive people because, and actively forgive yourself, you know, heck, we got in a fight that night, right? Yeah. <laughs> Before he walked out the door. So I had to forgive him and me. There's so many elements to, to this that you just put out there. It's kind of interesting. Um, that whole forgiveness thing is, is, it's crazy how that works because, you know, for, as we know, forgiveness isn't for the other person. It doesn't unburden the other person. It unburdens you, right? Yep. So, I mean, but we, and we talk about that. Kind of sometimes from a biblical sense, like, oh my goodness, uh, I, you know, I got to forgive this person, I got to forgive that person, and they will feel better. When in fact, it's you know, it's you who will feel better and move on. Uh, and that that kind of goes back to that, uh, you know, that not really being a victim, but taking charge of your life. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was resilience, and I want to talk a little bit about that because you know, when we talk to uh, people who do the longevity studies, that's the word that comes up more than anything else. You know, you've got these, you got blue zones, you got low carb, you got low fat, you got Mediterranean diets, you've got, 
meditators, you've got people who drink a, a Jack Daniels, who you know smoke a cigar every day, who live into their hundreds. And when you parse all of the different variables for what contributes greatest to longevity, it it all comes down to resilience. I know. What if it is, Mark, that like all the stuff we've been teaching for all these years, we could just have had the freaking pizza and just, you know, <laughs> been resilient. I thought about that. I, I, I mean, not. I mean, it, it really is sort of interesting if you if you do. Um, subscribe to that theory that resilience is that critical a factor, a variable in in your longevity. Um, the other term that they use is "roll with the punches," which is resilience. So the lo- you know it's it's overcoming the loss of uh, a loved one or the loss of a business or or you know multiple you know your house burning down or whatever. It's it's that ability to move on and not be dragged down by uh, the baggage by the memory of it. Right. Uh, it's it's and and that's and as you've I think you've pointed out, resilience and strength are not they're they're two different things. They can go hand in hand, but it's kind of nice to have both of them because you can be strong and not resilient. Right. I think of strength as I think of resilience as in, as strength over time. You know. Yeah. So you're strong. You go out and go after something. You get knocked down. You get back up. You do it again. You do it again. That's resilience. The strength is in the moment. The resilience is over time. Good. I, I like the way you you stated that. Did your knowledge of healing give you an advantage uh, in Grant's case here? Oh heck yeah! Um, two things gave me a massive advantage in all of this. Is and here was what was interesting. I'm standing in the hospital that first real night. Like we got there the first night he was airlifted to the second hospital at like two in the morning. We drove to Harbor UCLA. It's now the next night. And I'm standing there looking at this, thinking about the fact, talk about being an overwhelm. You know, he's there's, we're still hovering between life and death. And I've got this book launch looming and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, I need to practice extreme self-care. If I'm going to pull this one off, I cannot be sick at all. And I'm under huge stress. I mean, I could feel heartburn. One of my buddies, Dr. Hyla Cass, walked in with a ton of stress supplements that night. I'm like, thank you. You know, I was doing everything I could to just get my cortisol back in check and my adrenaline back in check. But so I was practicing extreme self-care. But then the second thing that I did was send an SOS out to all of our buddies. And I'm like, what you got that's the latest in brain injury recovery? Because I need it now. And I had things coming in from Dr. Barry Sears, Dr. Mike Lewis, and everybody just sent me, here's what you do. So absolutely, that played a role. Um, You know, Harvard UCLA saved his life. They got a stint in and without a blood thinner. But then they basically said, now we wait. The brain has its own time schedule. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. Because we've got a ton of inflammation here that we need to get put out. We got to put that fire out. So I um, I actually did a bunch of different stuff. One of my friends came over from Cedar Sinai, who was a brain trauma doc over there, and started essential oils right away. And what was interesting there, it was one of the whoa 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 wait a brain an MD a brain trauma doc uh-huh. did essential oils yes. She okay, comes, tell me more. She comes, and it was so funny. People at Harbor, they're like, who are you? Because people were walking in to visit, and they were bringing 
all sorts of stuff. They were bringing, you know, wild salmon and, you know, grass fed beef jerky. And <laughs> like, why are they bringing all these things here, you know, and then essential oils. And so she started bringing, she started doing this with him. And the minute she started doing it, his, and this, he's in a deep coma. He's non-responsive. He's wiggling his nose. He's fluttering his eyelids. It's one of the first times I started to see him respond. I'm like, Wow. But I think for us, what it also allowed us to do, I was trying to wake up his senses. So I was talking to him, touching him. Um, then the oil was just another way. But for us, it also gave us something to do. And in order for me to, to stay on a path where he's going to be 110%, I had to stay in action. It was like calming me down to do it. So that was hugely helpful. I also got um, a hold of Dr. Donald Stein, who did all the progesterone research because uh, they, he's done all the studies where he was using progesterone therapy to help reduce brain inflammation. So we started rubbing progesterone on Grant within the first week. And then we also started pushing up his fish oil. Now, he was on high-dose fish oil prior to the accident. I actually think that was one of the things that, that helped him survive that initial hit because it protects your brain. Um, but the ch big challenge we had was even though I had all of the research, Dr. Barry Sears sent me all the research that they had used with that coal miner that he and Julian Bales had used and my Harbor wouldn't do anything because they were afraid he would bleed out. And there's no evidence of that. Um, and so I could only get them to give him two grams, but once Grant hacked up his own feeding tube, I, I kind of did it myself. <laughs> You know, like, you know, I had a Nutribullet blender and uh, I hauled up an ice box every single day and I was just creating all sorts of stuff for him. Tiger, D, et cetera. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of picturing a room here, a typical ICU where there's nothing going on except the, you know, the, uh, the breathing machines and the, and the heart monitor and a, a, cu a couple of occasional sounds. You were actually working out uh, Grant's brain. So you were the sense, you know, you were getting to smell with the oils. Um, there was the, the feeling on the skin. There was the tactile sense. There were all of these, probably the sounds that were going on there. So you were actually giving his brain a little bit of a workout. Like it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you wonder why people don't come out of a coma. They just don't come out because they weren't stimulated. Right. Here's what's interesting, Mark. And I, you know, I've always been fascinated by near death experiences and comas, but I didn't really want to experience this way, you know, but I've always yeah. been intrigued by them. And I, you know, you hear all those stories about people hearing everything while they're in a coma. So I came from, he knows everything going on. I was absolutely managing all the conversation around him. Like if a doctor would walk in and say, you know, he's never going to walk again, I would usher them out of the room. And I was just telling him what I was doing and that he was a warrior and that he was going to be 110%. And later he said to me, he goes, mom, I came down. First of all, the first crazy thing he did was he described where my ex-husband and I were in the waiting room, what my ex-husband was wearing, and then some of the different hallways that he was wandering while he was in surgery. I'm like, what? You know, wow. and no way would he have ever known it. No pictures of it. Nothing. And then he says, you know, mom, the gray man came and asked me if I wanted to live or die. And it was really nice over there. I was talking to grandpa. I wanted to stay there. He goes, but I kept hearing your voice. And hearing you talk, and I thought about my family, and I decided I'd, I'd come back. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> def definitely a near-death experience. Uh, the, the kind of – I think I just saw a TV show about that the other day where they uh, 
you know, they, they tried to recreate that experience. Um, and that's kind of how, how you described it. That's crazy. That's. And he doesn't know. It's not like he's read the books. You know, I've read all those books and heard about the tunnels and all that. He hasn't. So this just came out of him one day when we were doing, I, we were like playing ping pong or something. He mentions that. And I'm like, what? You know, so pretty, pretty amazing. Manage your talk around people when they're in comas. <laughs> That's a oh, good advice. So how's he doing now? So, you know, again, I made this decision in the hospital that was an insane decision, but it was like I needed to stay hopeful. And so it was that he was going to be 110 percent. And then I just started assembling everything I needed to do to get him there. And I pulled him out. He went from one hospital to the next. He was there four and a half months. And I decided to bring him home early because I thought we could do better at home. And what I didn't realize is, you know, we have 17 million brain injuries a year and 25% of those people are suicidal, of which Grant was one of those. And so it's been a rough four years. Um, And we have done um, neurofeedback, hyperbaric. We've done um, CBD, which has been great. That's another great treatment. But one thing we've done over the last six months, he is now, I will tell you, 110%. And... um, it's amazing. The shift that's happened is we had his stem cells harvested from his fat and shipped out to a lab where they grow them because, you know, once you're not a fetus, your, your stem cells go way down. The minute you're born, they start decreasing. So as a young adult, he didn't have the concentration. So they concentrate your stem cells and then they inject them right into your spine. So they go right to your brain. You know, the stem cells will go to the areas of damage. And we've done this twice now and the first time we did it, when someone's coming out of a brain injury, it's a very weird time. They they have no internal editor and things just get rewired and old memories come back. And it's really like for him, it, it was very scary. Um, we actually had to have a security guard at the hospital and had him in a zipped up bed and we had to hit him with tranquilizers. It was not good. You know, you had to balance how much he was waking up versus how, you know, aggressive he was getting but that started to happen right away and i figured all right sprain's coming back online he started remembering things from when he was four and five years old he um has become fascinated with hydroponics he's put together his whole hydroponic garden the whole backyard is just a disaster i've just gotten over it it's just completely (laughs) you know it's like okay if this helps him heal he kind of naturally knew he needed to get into the dirt you know and needed to get grounded And so he's been out there and he's also, he has done art. He was never artistic or creative. He's done art that is just beautiful. It's actually part of, um, we did a documentary about this and I have the book about it and we put that in there and it's just amazing. So, and I think part of it is like that drawing and creativity is helping him rewire his brain too. So he is um, better than he was before. And I asked him, Mark, we did a little interview and I said, Grant, let's go back four and a half years and you're getting ready to cross the street. Do you do it? And he goes, yep. Wow. I do it all over again. I'm better because of it. I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, but I, and I hear that. I hear that from a lot of people who've had these sorts of experiences and you, you know, you, I mean, I guess at some point you think it might be cliche, but there's enough of them that say, I wouldn't change anything because right now, where I am right now makes me who I am today. Um, you might even now let me ask you that, JJ. If you had to do over again, would you let him go out the door? Yeah, I would. And I got to tell you, I had the sick mommy sense that night. Um, 
I just had this weird intuitive hit that night. But, you know, my son, um, this was my son who was bipolar. And we had a really rough childhood with him. And I was really worried about him. He'd finally gotten kind of a good place. It's how I met Dr. Daniel Lehman in the first place, who has helped us a bunch. But he, when this whole thing happened, I look at my ex-husband, I go, wow, we get a do-over. I had actually no idea who's going to wake up. I'm like, will he wake up bipolar, not bipolar? What's going to go on here? But um, I'm a my I'm a way better person because of it. Grant's a better person because of it. Um, my younger son who was 15 at the time, who walked right up to him on the gurney with the bone sticking out in the road rash and just said, dude, you look really ugly right now. But you know, if anyone can do this, you can, you are the most stubborn human being I've ever met. You know, that, that 19 year old, you cannot, you cannot throw him. We are all stronger. And I also know Mark that what I've seen out there in the world of brain injury is so upsetting. The lack of information um, is absolutely appalling. I was fortunate because I had this access and, you know, it's, it's given me a, another thing that I know that I have to do in this world is get this information accessible to people so that they're not alone. And they're not, you know, 25% of people who are suicidal, we've got to do something. That information has to be out there and accessible. And there needs to be support. I agree. It's uh, this, the whole suicide thing is, um, it seems to be an epidemic, and it's not just related to. Uh, I think it's not just related to to brain injury. I mean, I'm in a I'm in a community where where kids are committing suicide um, at a, at a fairly alarming rate. You know, my, when my kids' high school friends, you know, um, disappear one or two a year, it's just a, a pretty bizarre kind of situation. And I don't know, I don't know where we go with that. Um, you know, from here, I mean, we're talking in this case about brain trauma and how that that just has its own separate impact on the tendency to become suicidal. But um, it's it, I guess uh, it's just in general, it's a big problem in society right now. We need to take a look at that. And that's something I'm sure Daniel Amen is looking at, among among other things. Um, I want to um, I want to kind of just go back a little bit. A couple of things you said, first of all, um you know this this self care that you um, that you took on that you recognized that you were going to have to take care of yourself in in almost ninety ninety five percent of the cases with moms that becomes the sort of martyr uh, syndrome right like the the moms will just give up their the rest of their life to care for whoever it is the you know the child and uh, and not pay attention to their own health and I I've seen that a lot over the course of people that I've worked with in the, in the decades. And yet you, um, be, because of your background and the advantage that you have and the knowledge that you, of how the body works and sort of that part of your brain that says, look, I have to, you know, it's, it's like when the oxygen mask drops down from the, in the plane, you know, the, the parent wants to put the, needs to put the mask on him or herself first in order to help the kid. And, and that was sort of your mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you get to that that place that you um, th- that you're not overwhelmed that you're not just totally freaking out? I mean, I don't hear any. I don't really hear any of your story where you were freaking out at all. And yet, I think that I would have freaked out. I think that a lot of people who are listening would probably have just completely lost it and have needed a lot of help. How do you? So where do you? How do you get to that mindset from that traumatic an experience? All right. So first of all, I was scared to death, you know, (laughs) Um, 
when I freak out, I get in action. So that was helpful. And I called in for the first time ever in my life, Mark. I hate asking for help. I got over myself. I asked for help. And so that's the first thing that I did was like, I literally was living the whole thing out on my Facebook page. Um, so that helped tremendously. As far as the self-care goes, I have a completely different take on self-care. And I want to stop this idea that women have that they don't even deserve to be on their top 10 list. I actually think the most selfless thing that you can do is to take care of yourself and to practice that extreme self-care. Um, you want your kids to be healthy, guess where it starts, right? I mean, you start with you and then they'll do what you do. So you cannot focus, do what you need to do. I had to make life and death decisions on a regular basis. And you have to be able to think straight to do that. If you're in a sugar coma (laughs) and a gluten coma, that ain't happening. So I I think at any level, self-care is is one of the most selfless things that we can do. But how you make it happen in the moment like that is really by habits. And that is why it's so key to build the right habits into your life. Because when you have those habits, like every day I would just get up in the morning, I'd have my shake. You know, I'd get to the hospital, I'd do burst training, hit training on the stairs. I just I just had these habits in my life. And when you have the habits, that's the structure that just creates the freedom. I, I didn't have to think about it. It was just what I did. You know, like part of the reason I had the resilience training is, and I, and I didn't even know this was one of the key ways you can build resilience. But every morning I get up, I pull out a journal and I write three things I'm grateful for. I've been doing this forever. And that saved me in that hospital when I'm, you know, one of the best ways to push out fear is to add in gratitude. And I would have to find things to be grateful for if it's as simple as he sighed, you know, he was still breathing today. You know, it's like, I'm grateful. It was, it was scary and dark. I mean, it was as bad as it gets. There were multiple times when he almost died again in that hospital and and at home, he tried to kill himself multiple times. And here I'm going, he's going to be 110%. And there's nothing showing that that is about to happen. But me being scared and going down isn't going to make it happen. So I had to find the hope and grab the gratitude and hold on to that and keep myself moving in forward action. Because if you stop and you become hopeless and you start to, you know, look at the, the reality, it, it, he could have died then. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have done it, you know? So there was no, there was no room for the pity party. I would, I remember Friday nights were the hardest in the hospital, not have a pity party, but that's when that doctor from Cedar sinai Dr. Ann Meyer would show up and as my son's coming out of the coma, he's staring off into space. And my biggest fear, Mark, was that I'd gone through all of this and I'd fought for my child. And he was going to be a vegetable and I wanted to do what was best for him. I'm like, you know, what am I doing what's best for him? And it's coming out of the coma and he's not looking like he's ever going to be anything more than a, a person lying in bed, staring off into space, repetitively moving one arm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right. And uh, this doctor came in. and She goes, this is great. He'll be great. And was telling me every positive little tiny thing to look for. And that's what we need to do in life. We need to find those little hinges. Right. We need to find those little wins and focus on those and build on them and stay positive and crowd out all those dark thoughts because there's way more dark and scary most of the time, right? No, absolutely. And I think, you know, not to, not to pass over lightly this concept of the gratitude journal, but um, it is really one of those things where whenever I find myself in that kind of overwhelmed spot or 
on a on a negative kind of downer you know binge um it's going to the gratitude part of it that lifts me up again it's like oh my god i'm centered i've 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 refound my you know my purpose um i'm i'm grounded again i'm ready to i'm ready to move on because of simple little things like just being grateful for you know the uh the house that i live in grateful for the grass outside and and the coolness of the of the dew on my feet i mean l- just little things like that that kind of bring you back to center and go okay you know it's it isn't all about you it's about it's some, it's about something bigger yep i've been terrified over the last 6 months when i was hearing you do the intro and you were talking about that i'm like oh my gosh i've been waking up freaked out about this book and documentary and who am i and like blah you know and that is a big part of this is like if you're going out there to play a bigger game to have a bigger impact you every single time you go to that next level you're going to get caught up in this fear and overwhelm and what if that actually is the rite of passage and you learning how to step up and be courageous and step up into that bigger space and lean into it because every time you do that comfort zone expands more and you go i got i, I can do this you know i can do it. my litmus test now on things i'm going well is anyone dying here i got it you know i mean you just go i we can do this no, that's and that's exactly where, where I'm at with all of this. It's interesting. I, in the past um, two years, my wife has been doing this program called the Three Principles, and it's really a, uh, a very interesting way of looking at how our mind works and how it's that monkey talk, that chatter that the that the mind has, all of the negative thoughts. You know, anything that you're thinking are they're just thoughts. Uh, they don't exist in reality, and you and I can talk about that intellectually and get that, but to actually embody that concept and go, when you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, you go, all right, geez, I, how am I going to make this payment to the bank? And and I've got this, uh, you know, this overdue um, assignment for a blog post that I gotta, I gotta get up and, you know, all the things you have to do and all, it's just chatter, mm-hmm. it's just talk. And what I've come to realize myself is that I can now turn it off. Because I recognize it for what it is, and I can go back to sleep, whereas I used to stay up for an hour kind of just going over everything, like like checking off a list of all these things I should be doing and I'm not doing. Um, but getting back to your point, because I know that that I've done all I can. It's t- three freaking o'clock in the morning. I can't do anything right now. And so why think about it? Um, you know, all the thinking is doing is making me that much more anxious and nervous and not being able to sleep. I know I will be able to do it. In time, I know I've done I've done all I can up to now, and I'll make the next decision when the next decision needs to be made, and that's sort of the the process that I've been using, and it seems to work pretty well for me. Yep, that's what I've been doing too. And I, you live on the, you know, it's finding that balance. I tend to live on the edge of overwhelm. <laughs> yeah, right, because I need a little bit of pressure. So, and it was interesting. I was reading a a study about how bad moods really teach us that and you think about it as grant's been waking up from the the brain injury the first thing that started to happen is he got all negative i'm like whoa what is this and then my ex-husband pointed out that like we'll remember the things that scare us the most first we remember the bad times it's like it's written in our amygdala so that we'll protect ourselves so you look at the challenging things the challenging times that's when we grow that's when we learn to be able to handle things so it's all good. When you're waking up stressed like that, it's just your body going, okay, we're moving into the next big thing. Figure it out. <laughs> You've got it. 
<laughs> so what about people who are facing the kind of, you know, problems that aren't about their health or that aren't traumatic? Does the miracle mindset apply to other challenges? Yeah. When I wrote this, um, you know, the story, of course, is very specific to me going through this whole thing with Grant. But the reality is it doesn't really matter if it's a health issue or a money issue or a career issue or a relationship issue, or maybe you're just in a rut, right? The biggest thing holding us back is our mindset. You're never going to outgrow wherever you think you should be. I mean, just in relationship to health, I queried my community last year and I really thought like when I, when they were going to tell me why they weren't, you know, why they weren't where they wanted to be with their health, that it would be because they, they couldn't stop eating sugar, I was like, wait for that. You know, I can't put on the bread. And and it was like, I don't feel good enough. And I'm like, what? You don't feel good enough. You don't feel worthy. You know, but think about someone in a job where they really want to be further in their career, but they don't feel good enough. They're not going to go ask for that raise. They're not going to ask for the promotion, you know, or someone who's who's dating who might say, I can't go out after that, that gal. I'm not good enough. So this mindset stuff is shapes everything. It's like, really, when you think about what we're teaching our kids in school, what if we taught our kids in school how to be courageous, how to live in abundance, how to be present, how to forgive? Like, think how different the world would be, right? You know, how to be in a... No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... No, I mean, I, I've, I've thought that for a long time. And, uh, and then you let the other things be electives. Those are required courses, but then math is an elective and, you know, social studies and science are electives. Um, so out of everything, what's the one single thing you come back to day in and day out is the biggest life-changing lesson you've learned from all this? It is that um, forgiveness actually is a an active process. And um, it actually happened with our buddy Dave Asprey, who's one of my very best friends, kind of muscled me into going to his 40 years of Zen a couple like two years ago because he saw that I was in just a kind of flatline state and I thought you know I'd gotten through this but nothing nothing was bringing me any joy I wasn't feeling sadness I was just kind of flatlining out and I didn't know why I was you know what I was going to I just knew that he felt I should go so I went with him to do this and it's it's sitting in a chamber for like eight plus hours a day with electrodes on your head going through forgiveness protocols and I'm like really oh my God, like, really, what am I going to do in there? Right. So first I'm thinking, well, I'll be out of here in an hour. And then I realized I'll probably be here for the next year forgiving people. And just like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't about me calling someone saying, I forgive you. It's got nothing to do with the other person. You have to actually actively forgive. And it's, it's, you know, I thought, oh, I wasn't upset with this woman who hit Grant and I'm not holding any resentment, but I'd never really forgiven her. And I'd never forgiven Grant for going out that night and doing that. And I'd never forgiven myself. And, you know, that's what really has been amazing. I now check in. And if I'm angry with someone, and it just happened a couple of weeks ago, I was angry with someone and I was like venting about it. And I just didn't like the person I was. And I'm like, I need to forgive this person. Like, and that means I need to actively, you know, kind of go through this process where I charge this person with what I feel like they did to me. And then I shift over to their position and I look at, at like what, what's their take on it. Right. Which is a very important step to take. What's their place? Be empathetic and then look at the gift because there always is one. And man, that is the most freeing thing that you can do. Agree a hundred percent. It's, um, as, as, uh, 
George Pransky would describe in the three principle principles, you know, you have different realities, right? And, and the other person's reality may be just as legit and real and, uh, you know, and, and without any sort of, uh, malice intended, um, or, you know, or maybe it was, but coming from a completely different space, maybe they just had a huge argument with their spouse that day, whatever. I mean, it's, it, but it, this, this idea that, that it, my brain is is just thinking about all the thoughts that that are relevant to me. Nothing exists outside of my brain, as far as I'm concerned. Your brain has all these thoughts that are relevant to, relevant to you, and and so we 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 might even have a communication that we're like speaking almost two different languages because we're in such a space created by the thought patterns of our brains, and and who knows what kind of what kind of uh, you know verbal abuse. Two people might give each other just based on those frames of reference that have nothing to do with how they feel about each other. So this whole idea of, of, of forgiveness comes back to just you know clearing your brain of of any of that baggage left over from whatever that incident was, and and it's about you being able to move on. Which I gather then you've you've um is there like a is there like a checklist or a test that you can be sure that you've moved on from the accident? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's so great about neurofeedback is it can tell if you're cheating or you didn't really clear it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's you you kind of get that feeling if you check in. I'll tell you when you know you haven't forgiven someone, when you're still mad and you want to talk about it. <laughs> you right. that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. Right. Um, yeah, the last thing you said, and we'll never talk about this again. Agreed? <laughs> right. So um, any, any last um, words of wisdom or inspiration you want to leave our listeners today, JJ? You know, I'll tell you um, what I would love to see. And I, I kind of relate this back to health. To me, um, one of the things that all of us in the nutrition and health field will agree on is that we should eat eat our vegetables, right? I mean, it's like, right, we'll all kind of go there. Then we'll fight about everything else. I look at a gratitude practice like eating your vegetables, it is the single most empowering thing that I've seen out there, and it can be done in a minute a day. And it literally is grab that journal because there's something about pen to paper that changes everything. And and think about those three things, people, that you're most grateful for. Feel it and just add that into your day. That's like the big challenge I'm going to throw out there because I've been now teaching that in my courses, and it shifts things immediately to the better. I love it. I love it. JJ Virgin, thanks for joining us today. If you want to find out more about her book and her books, what I mean a book, and her coaching courses and her um, entrepreneur events, go to jjvirgin.com. Uh, any other places they need to visit, JJ? That'll be it. You can get everywhere from there. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to visit with you and look forward to seeing you in person again real soon. You too. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. 
and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.